announcement I failed to get in the bulletin, and that is that the men's Bible study on Wednesday morning will be canceled as well. We'll pick that up again on January 3rd. And then we got some new prayer cards from the Boyers. They're in the track rack in the back. It gives their new address and, and so forth. And got all four of them on there this time instead of just the three of them. So if you would like a prayer card, it, it's back there as well. Matthew chapter 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he began to inquire of them where the Christ was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judea, are by no means the least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and ascertained from them the time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make careful search for the child. And when you have found him, report to me that I may come and worship him. And having heard the king, they went their way. And lo, the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They came into the house and saw the child with Mary his mother. They fell down and worshipped him. And opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their own country by another way. Back on Christmas Eve in 1932, a man by the name of Robert McGinsey attended a midnight Christmas Eve service. After the service, he made his way back to his one-room apartment house, where uh, a very small place that he lived in. As he walked the final blocks, he passed several clubs and taverns and so forth, and he noticed that so many people were shouting and swearing and some singing, Others were so drunk that they had passed out on the sidewalk. As he made his way home, he thought, what a strange way to celebrate the birth of the most perfect person who had ever lived on this earth. When he got back to his little apartment, he took out an envelope. And on the back of the envelope began to write the words that later became a song. It's called Sweet Little Jesus Boy. They made you to be born in a manger. Sweet little holy child didn't know who you was. Didn't know you came to save us, Lord, to take our sins away. Our eyes were blind. We couldn't see. We didn't know who you was. In a sense, it was an apology to the Christ child because the world did not recognize who he was or, or why he had come into this world. Last week, we looked at Bethlehem's baby. We noted that he came to Bethlehem, came first of all to be a savior to save his people from their sins, and not only his people, but to save you and I, because Scripture says, whoever believeth on him shall have eternal life. We also looked at the fact that he came to be a shepherd, that he came to shepherd his people. And for us, he has become not only the shepherd, but the good shepherd, and as Hebrew says, the great shepherd, because he, through his blood, gave his life for us. But the story doesn't stop there in this small village of Bethlehem. It was a very tiny village. 
The only claim to fame, perhaps, was that King David had been born there many centuries before this. He came to Bethlehem, Matthew chapter 5, verse 2, is where the scribes and Pharisees were quoting from. And yet the world knew not who he was. Because he came not just as Savior, not just as Shepherd, but as Bethlehem's sovereign. He came as Micah said, he would be the one who would come forth as a ruler there. He was the sovereign of the world. Perhaps more than anyone else, the Magi recognized that fact. Perhaps more than anyone even in Israel itself, they recognized the significance of who this little baby was. Herod had a fear of a Messiah coming and being born. Didn't recognize him as the sovereign Lord, but he, but he knew that there was somebody that was coming, according to the Old Testament prophecies, that was to be a, a, a ruler in Israel. And Herod was just a little bit, well, maybe not, maybe more than a little bit paranoid. Uh, he put to death anybody that was a threat to himself and, and to his kingdom and, and to his power. He put some of his wives to death. He put his, some of his children to death because... He was afraid they were going to take over dad's position and so forth. Uh, he, he was not the best man in the world. <laughs> and uh, when he hears that a, a Messiah has been born, he's been dreading this moment and, and fighting against it. And, and uh, it, it makes the attempt now to destroy the one who was actually coming to be the sovereign. The wise men, though, came to worship him. What do we know about the wise men? They are men of mystery in, in some ways. We know so, so little about them. Uh, we, we sing about them in our songs. Uh, tradition holds that they were three kings from the east, that they came on camels. We always picture them coming on camels. Did they actually come on camels? I don't have the slightest idea. Uh, the, the story in song is based on tradition, not based on scripture there. Was, was there three of them? Was there more than that? We, we have no idea. Uh, we, you ever wonder about some of the Bible stories? You've got to wait till heaven to get the full story. We, we only get glimpses of it here today. But uh, someday we'll, we'll understand it more. Tradition holds they were three kings. Uh, in the 6th century, names were given to the three kings. Now, how 6th century later they determined that they could identify them by name, I, I don't know. But that's the way sometimes the church works there. Other details were suggested. They're suggested that they represented Asia, Africa, and Europe, that they came from those, those three areas. Uh, in the 14th century, the Armenian church identified them as kings of Persia, India, and Arabia. Now, which one is right? I don't have the slightest idea. Were they actually kings? I, I don't think so. But uh, in the Middle Ages... They began to collect relics, and they're stored in the city of Cologne today, supposedly uh, relics that had belonged to the wise men and some of their bones and so forth. Uh, again, uh, there's a lot of romantic stories and extra-biblical accounts, but what do we really know? We know that they were magi. That's uh, a word that we don't use very often. Uh, I think a better translation of that word it, in some places, it's translated magician. Uh, a better translation is wise men. Uh, that's as far as we're going to go as who they were. 
as wise men, they were probably philosophers. They were counselors, perhaps, to kings. Some even suggest that they uh, delved in divination and so forth. But it's interesting, the New Testament term used here is the same term used in Acts chapter 8, where it speaks of uh, Simon the sorcerer, remember, uh, when uh, Philip went down from Jerusalem and preached the gospel there, and, and many people are, went, went down to Samaria. Did I say Jerusalem? <laughs> no, he went from Jerusalem to Samaria anyhow. And, and there was a tremendous revival there. And Simon also believed. And, and when he saw that uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit over, he wanted to buy it there. But he was a great magician. He was a deceiver. He had been manipulating and controlling the people in Samaria for years. Uh, he was a false magi. The other t- time it's used in an Acts, is Acts chapter 13, where we have a man by the name of Elimaeus. Elimaeus was also known as Bar-Jesus, and uh, trying to claim to be Jesus, the Messiah. He was on the island of Cyprus. He had the ear of the, the governor there. He he. Again, had tremendous power and influence there. But these two men were false wise men. The ones in Matthew were the true ones. They were the ones who came and worshipped the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. They came from the east, perhaps from Persia, perhaps from Babylon. We don't know their origin there. But coming from that region, they would have been exposed to the Old Testament writings. If you recall your history, Israel or the nation of Judah had been taken into captivity and they were taken to Babylon and they were there for 70 years. At the end of the 70 years, uh, Persia came and conquered Babylon and many of the Jews then went and were influential in the Persian Empire. You read the book of Esther, you you read the book of Nehemiah and and so forth. All, All of these men impacted the the kings of, of Persia there, and then Daniel, of course, the king of Babylon and so forth. So the word was there, and, and perhaps they had searched the scriptures for years trying to find out who was going to be the, the Messiah there. They came at great expense to Jerusalem. A journey at the very least would have taken five months for them to go from Persia up around the Fertile Crescent down in, into Israel and and into Bethlehem itself. And they came primarily to worship a little baby. That was their purpose. That uh, that was why they came. It was a costly journey, I'm sure, for them. Probably came with a caravan, uh, a large enough group that it caused quite a stir in Jerusalem. When that number of people suddenly come in and and influential as they were, it got Herod a little bit upset there. And uh, he gets involved in the act as well. But verse 2 identifies why they came. They came because they saw the star of the Messiah and they came to worship him. Recognizing who he was, they came to worship him. Perhaps they were well versed in the Old Testament scriptures back in Numbers chapter 24. Uh, Balaam, of all people, in, in verse 17, makes this prophecy. He said, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob, and a scepter shall rule from Israel, and shall crush through the, for, through the forehead of Moab, and so forth there. 
there was the first reference of, of the star of the Messiah. He would come, he would rule, he would conquer, he, he would be king of kings and, and lord of lords. And that, that theme can be traced throughout the Old Testament. They were seeking a baby. They did not come to worship a baby, though. They came to worship a king. They, they recognized that this child was going to grow, and the gifts that they gave were gifts fitting for a king. And that's what I want us to look at here for just a moment. Who was this Bethlehem sovereign that, that's revealed here? And what were the gifts that were given to him? The first gift we read is the gift of gold, a gift that is more than fitting for, for a king. In the Old Testament, it was given as gifts to kings. Uh, they, they would often claim the gold that was conquered in, in, in battles and so forth as, as their own. But it was used for more than just the worship of a king. It was used in the worship of God and gods as well. It, one of the first references to it is back in the Old Testament. Remember when the children of Israel came out of the land of Egypt and Moses went up on the mountain. He was there for 40 uh, days, 40 nights before the Lord. And he was about to bring the, uh, the two tablets down with the Ten Commandments on it. Remember what happened in, in the nation of Israel while he was up there? They thought, hey, this man's not coming back. Uh, why don't you, and went to Aaron and said, why don't you make a God for us and, and we'll worship him and we'll return to Egypt there. What did they make? A golden calf. They chose gold because that was worthy of a king of kings and lord of lords. When they made the, the temple, if, if you recall your history of the temple, the tabernacle first and then the temple, much of it was covered with gold, the, the altars, the, the, the walls and so forth. It was fitting to honor the presence of the Lord. And, and so they, they recognized in, in their giving of the, the gold in, in, into the tabernacle and so forth that they, they were, here was one that was worthy of worship. In Micah chapter 5 verse 2 as Micah makes his prophecy about the one coming to Bethlehem, he speaks of the fact that he was worthy because he was from eternity. He was the eternal one. He was the, the Lord of the universe, the, the creator there. And so in that gift, as they gave him that gift of gold, it was more than just a financial gift there. It was the recognition of who he was, the recognition that he had the right to rule over the hearts and lives of men, that he was the sovereign Lord of the, the universe. And, you know, as we think about that, it's easy for us to go through the Christmas season and not really stop and think, who is it that was born that day? Who is it? Are we just celebrating a baby that was born in a manger, or are we recognizing him as Lord of Lords? And king of kings. Because if that's who he truly is, then as he said in Luke chapter 6, he said to his followers, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that I say? If he is the sovereign that was claimed to be in the Old Testament, and if he is our sovereign today, then we owe him not just gold, we owe him our obedience. We, we need to, to seriously recognize that perhaps the best gift that we can give him today is not our gold. It's our lives. It, it's uh, our, our worship of him and so forth. And then they came with a second gift, frankincense. 
Frankincense was used in the Old Testament by the priests. If you remember the ministry of the tabernacle, when you came into the tabernacle, the first thing you came up against was the, the bronze or brazen altar there. And there you would bring your sacrifice for your sin. The, the priest would sacrifice it. It would be burnt on the altar there. And then you would make your way farther in. You would have the, the, the laver there for cleansing. You would wash your hands and feet. In it. And then the priests were allowed to go into the holy place. And in the holy place itself was the, the golden lampstand, was the table with the showbread on it, representing the ministry of Christ, the bread of life, and so forth. But also in that holy place was another altar, a small one, a golden one. This was the altar of incense. It was here that the priests would come with the frankincense, and as they offered up their prayer, they would put the frankincense on the fire on that little altar there. And right behind that was the, the curtain that separated the, the holy place from the holy of holies. And in the holy of holies was the mercy seat. And, and so they were offering up prayer, recognizing that behind that was the, behind that, that curtain there was the, the presence of the almighty king, the Lord of lords and the Lord of the universe there. And so I think as the magi, as the wise men brought their gold, and then they brought their frankincense. There was that recognition that here was someone that was more than just a ruler. Here was someone that was more than just a king. He was also a priest now. And they were offering as to a priest, they were giving the gift of frankincense here. Here was one they, they wisely recognized who was qualified to represent man to God and God to man. He was the one who could be the mediator between man and, and God. It reminds us of the Old Testament story of Melchizedek. Remember when Abraham returned from battle, he was met by Melchizedek, king of Judah, or, or of Jerusalem there, priest of the Most High God. And, and uh, he is the only one in the Old Testament that we have who served both as king and priest. And Abraham recognized him in both offices there. Years later, when the children of Israel came into the promised land, if you recall, the Lord split those two offices. The right to be king was given to the tribe of Judah. The, the right to be priest was given to the tribe of Levi. That's where we get that idea even down through to today, the separation of church and state. A wise principle there. Why? Because... As someone wisely said, power corrupts. You ever notice that happening in, in government? Uh, somebody gets in power and it can corrupt their, their character there. Uh, the same thing can happen in church as well. Power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely. So there was that balance there in Israel between the two offices, uh, between the office of king, the office of, of priest. It is only in the person of Jesus Christ that those two offices come together again. Jesus Christ came as king, a descendant of David. He has the right to the throne. He also comes, as the writer of Hebrews reveals to us in Hebrews chapter 5, as our high priest. Now, how can that be since he's not a descendant of Levi? Well, he is a priest after the order, he said, of Melchizedek, a different priesthood than, than the Levitical priesthood that they knew in, in the Old Testament. Again, as we look back over the story of Melchizedek, it's a mystery. Uh, it speaks of the fact that he was without father, without mother, without descent. Uh, who was he? 
We just don't know today. I, we have our theories. I, I would like, I, I have suggested when I taught uh, Genesis in our Bible study out at Jump Off Joe that perhaps it was Seth. He would be the last one of, of the three sons living. Uh, his father and mother had passed away. There was, there was no further descent there, but that's just my theory. You can have your own theory on that, and, and it won't hurt my feelings at all. <laughs> it, it, but he came as a priest and as a king, and Jesus Christ is doing the same. Now, what does that say to us today? Interesting verse comes out of 1 Peter chapter 2. In 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, you come down in the, in the opening verses, beginning in verse 9, it's revealing the fact that Jesus Christ was the, the living stone, the cornerstone upon which our foundation is built and so forth. And then he goes on to say, you are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. And he goes on to say, you and I are living stones. Now, again, that's a mystery. Living stones, the, the inanimate objects, and, and yet he says, you're, li- you're living stones. Uh, you, you can puzzle over that one on your own there. But uh, he comes down to, to verse 9, and he says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. In us is combined the office of a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. What is he saying in that? He is saying that we are related to the king of kings. We're related to the priest, the high priest there, uh, after the order of Melchizedek. And so our responsibility, he said in verse 9, is that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We serve in the capacity of a priest. We serve as children of the king, sons of of the, the king here. In a sense, we have placed upon us the responsibility of being priest to reveal to the world the excellencies, the glories of Jesus Christ. And I think as we reflect on the Christmas season, are we doing that? Who is seeing the glory of Christ through us? Who are we seeking to reveal Christ to today? Are, are we taking seriously the fact that we are here as the king's representatives? We are here in place of the king. We are the hands that he's using today. We are the lips that he's speaking through. Are ours are the feet that he's using today. Are, are we taking seriously the responsibility that we are children of the king priests of the Most High God, and we are here to reveal His excellencies, His glory to our generation and to our community today. And then the third gift they brought was a rather strange one, myrrh, uh, perfume. Now, most men don't open their gifts on Christmas Day and say, hey, I got perfume today. (laughs) Uh, That that, that just doesn't seem right for fitting for a, a man here. But I think we need to realize that perfume had, or myrrh had a different use in Scripture than, than just perfume. It was also used in, in, in medical purposes, but it, it was used in John chapter 19, verse 39 there. It, um, 39. Okay. The story of Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea. Verse 39, they came, Nicodemus came also who had first come to him by night, bringing a mixture of myrrh and alios, about a hundred pound weight. 
Notice he was given the gift of myrrh at his birth. He was given the gift of myrrh at his death. It was used at both times there. And what is he saying in that? I think it was used to mark the beginning and the end of his earthly ministry. Came as a baby. They presented him the gift of myrrh, recognizing that here was one who came not just to serve as king, but to go to the cross. And they were foreseeing down the road that the, the death, of, it was all there in the Old Testament. Uh, the prophets puzzled over it, First Peter chapter 1 there. They, they, they couldn't put the pieces together. The, the, the first coming, the second coming was all f- told there in the Old Testament. I wonder if the wise men understood more of that than we give them credit for. Because they, they brought myrrh knowing that he would eventually need that in his burial time. But as we think about that, while it marks the beginning and the end of his earthly ministry, it also marked the beginning of his heavenly ministry. As it was presented, as it was placed there in the tomb, he was only going to be there a short time. And then he rose as king of kings and Lord of Lords. And so I think they were recognizing beyond this life, there's another life. And beyond this life, he is going to reign as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And it opened the door for us for eternal life. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 says, He ever liveth to make intercession for us. He's able to save us, he said, to the uttermost, because he's today interceding as our high priest in heaven. And then Philippians, Paul points out in Philippians 2 that today he is serving as what? King of kings and Lord of lords. He has stepped into that role, that ministry that the the Magi recognized as they came and worshipped him. And so the Magi and Herod both were faced with a choice. The Magi came, they saw this little child they fell down and worshipped him and presented his gifts, their gifts to him. Herod, on the other hand, came looking for the Christ child so that he could put him to death. And that's where we get the story, the rest of the story in Matthew chapter 2 there of the, the infants in Bethlehem being put to death there. He chose to reject the Messiah. In a sense, it goes back to that sweet little baby, sweet little Jesus there didn't know who he was. Herod had no clue who this little baby really was. He he failed to understand what the scriptures were saying, failed to understand who he was. But today, we're without excuse. Today, we know that he came as Bethlehem's baby to be our savior. We know that he's our shepherd today, that he's walking with us through this life. But do we ever stop to take into our account at Christmas time that he's, he's more than that. He's our sovereign today. He is the Lord of lords and, and king of kings. Do we simply celebrate the birth of a little baby in Bethlehem? Or do we sometimes pray, Lord, open our eyes to help us fully understand who you are and what that means in, in our lives today? As we pray, Lord, open our eyes, then we're prepared to worship him. Not only should we be prepared to worship him, but we should be prepared to serve him. As Luke says, if 
if I'm who I say I am, then you have the responsibility to follow me. As we think of this one who came from the glories of heaven into a little town of Bethlehem, what are we willing to do for him today? Are we willing to serve him? Are we willing to give him our life? Are, are, are we willing to follow him, recognizing that he said, if you're going to come after me, you may have to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Are we willing to do that? Because we recognize this little baby, this one who was born on Christmas so many years ago, is truly the Lord of lords and King of kings. Let's pray. Father, what a tragedy it was and is today that so many in our society have no idea who you really are. Father, we are without excuse, though. We have your scripture, we have your word. And so, Lord, our prayer very simply this Christmas season would be open our eyes to the reality of who you are, open our eyes to the reality of what you're doing in our lives, and then open our eyes to what it is that you would have us do in our service for you. May we be like the wise men, bringing not the gift of gold and frankincense and myrrh, because you don't need that today, but bringing you our very lives so that you can work through us to touch somebody else with the gospel message. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And we're going to sing Angels We Have Heard on High.